Welcome or welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you're having a great day. If not, I hope it gets better. Last week, we talked about the murder of Tracy McBride, and this week we are going to be talking about what happened to Marianne Carver. This case is weird and has so many unanswered questions, so many things handled the wrong way, you probably will have different opinions as to what you think, or you might be torn between two different possibilities, because there are a lot of possibilities that could make sense. It's just that we have no answers. So without further ado, let's get started. Marion Carver was born on April 3, 1964, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She was a former banker who was into writing and traveling. She had this beautiful red hair, and her father describes her as an overachiever, a sensitive person, always traveling, and a very adventurous person. At this time, Marion is 40 years old and is divorced, so she lives by herself. She has a 13-year-old daughter with her ex-husband, who is spending the summer with her dad in England. Marion's daughter talks to Marion at least once a day just to check in on each other. On August 27, 2004, Marion got on a plane from Boston to Seattle, Washington. She doesn't tell anyone where she's going or what she's doing. She just packs her clothes and leaves. Although she didn't tell her family where she was going, it wasn't the strangest thing for her to do. She was 40 years old. Her daughter was with her father. She was independent and she loved adventures. Marion decides to go on a cruise by herself. She goes on the Celebrity Mercury Cruise owned by Royal Caribbean in Seattle that is going to Alaska. The cruise that she gets on is a 12-deck cruise with a 2,000-passenger capacity. This is the second time that she's been on a cruise. The first time she went was with her daughter, so it wasn't her first rodeo. She knew what to expect and what to do. Marion was staying on the ninth floor, and the view was a panoramic deck level because she was further up, and everything on the ship, you could see the views of the ocean, which is beautiful and scary at the same time, for me at least, because I have a fear of the ocean. It terrifies me. The main reason I've never been on a cruise is because you're literally in the middle of the ocean. But I have been on a plane, and you're literally in the middle of the sky, but it's just something about the ocean. While Marion is on the ship, there is a party going on with people, drinks, and music playing. Her sense of security is heightened because she is by herself. 
compared to if she was with a group of friends and there are multiple people looking out for her. She doesn't go up to anyone on the ship and start a conversation with them, but there are people that come up to her and talk to her. Maybe they were interested in her, or, you know, there are horrible people out there that, you know, come up to you, talk to you, but for the wrong reasons. And being a woman traveling by yourself makes you much more of a target to other people. Marion goes back to her cabin to write in her journal when the ship steward comes into her room. And the reason is that earlier that evening, she requested some towels and he came to deliver them. Something that is weird is that I've never been on a cruise, but so I don't know if all cruises are like this, but the doors on this cruise locked electronically and there are no safety latches or deadbolts to keep the door actually shut. So that is something that is frightening for Marion. I would assume anyone that goes into a room and the door has no physical lock to lock the door so that you know for sure that you're safe would be an absolute turnoff. And it's like, I don't think I want to stay here anymore. The next day on the ship, Marion spends the day riding and walking around the ship. The night before, her daughter was trying to get in contact with her, but you barely get cell phone signal on a cruise, so no phone calls were going through. And something that I want to mention is that the cruise ship workers look out for passengers and their own workers just in case there is some romance going on. They want everything to be professional. And my mom watched a show, I think it's called Below Sea or Below Deck. It's just about people on a cruise ship and how it operates. And one thing that was big in the show was the workers could not start any type of romantic relationship. They were very strict with that. So yeah. I just thought that that was important to mention. And the workers are able to tell if you are alone or not by the way the room is set up, how many beds are in the room, the amount of food you order, and, you know, if they see you all the time, then they can assume that you're by yourself. That night, there is a party happening, and Marion decides to stay in her room and read a book. On the second day, which was a Saturday, at around 8 to 8.30 p.m., the steward comes into her room. And I say comes into her room means like he actually walked into her room because the doors have no lock and you could easily just walk into people's room. And at that time, there is a formal going on and almost everyone on board attends the event. He told her, you know, sorry for coming into your room and asked Marion if she was going to the formal and she told him she was not attending. Apparently, Marion asked the ship steward if he would help her order room service. The private investigator that was hired by Marion's parents said that what he doesn't understand is the significance of the room service order. She orders two sandwiches not one, which 
isn't the weirdest thing. Maybe she didn't eat all day and got the sandwiches for herself. But there is also a part of you that wonders, maybe she did eat and got two sandwiches to share with another person. Marion offers the steward a tip, but he refuses and says that it's his job to serve her. After she's finished eating, she places the plate outside the room on the floor and sets some money aside for the steward that she's going to give him in the morning and goes to sleep, which means that she was planning on seeing him again if she was going to give him the tip the next morning. The next morning, the steward returns. He gets the dishes that Marion left, but realizes that she isn't in her room and has no contact with her that morning. The cabin steward searches the ship, but has no luck finding her. He gets worried because she's nowhere to be seen, and he goes to his supervisor's office and tells him that there's someone missing. I believe that how someone acts when someone goes missing does tell a lot, but some people will act very concerned and know exactly what happened, not making any accusations, just pointing that out. But then, you know, you never can predict someone's reaction when you get a news that someone's missing. The steward did seem concerned. He checked the entire ship multiple times. He talked to Marion the most, and Marion talked to him the most. And all of a sudden, she's missing. Of course, he would be highly concerned. The supervisor calls the ship stewards into his office and gives them a non-disclosure agreement, also known as a NDA, to sign, which is highly concerning because as soon as someone goes missing, you have your steward sign an NDA. That's weird. Like, you have to, ask, you, you end up asking yourself, there must be something going on. If you don't know what an NDA is, it is a legally enforceable contract that establishes confidentiality between two parties. That's the legal version. But basically, it means once you sign this piece of paper, you stop talking. Now, this is weird because instead of doing the right thing in the first place and investigating that someone on your ship has gone missing, you brush it off, realize that this is actually serious, and now you have to create and sign NDAs as a way to cover your own butt. Marion's father said that they have emails showing the process of covering up her disappearance, and in the email, there was someone asking questions. The first question was, did you check her onboard account? Did she make any purchases? And they answered, no, there were no purchases. The second question was, can I have her see past data and photo? Which they said that they already sent just to know who it is that they're looking for. And when it exactly did she get on the cruise? And the third question was, did you check the surveillance cameras? And they responded, the security is working on it. It's been a week since Marion's daughter last heard from her, and she gets worried and calls Marion's father 
and tells him that she can't get a hold of her mother. So Marion's father, Ken, tries calling Marion and nothing goes through. He calls her apartment landline phone and no one answers. They get in contact with Cambridge police and file a missing persons report. So the police go to Marion's place to investigate. And when they reach her apartment, they check for signs if someone broke in. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. They take her laptop and some other of her things to investigate. They go to her neighbors asking if they have seen or heard from her, but no one knows where she is. The police try getting into her laptop, but trying to get into anyone's stuff is pretty hard. Back on the cruise, the claims operation manager and hotel operations manager meet with the supervisor, and the steward wants to go up to the manager and tell them what happened. But they aren't going to believe him, they're more likely going to believe the supervisor. The steward goes to the room again just to check and make sure, and he goes in the room and sees that nothing has changed. The tip money is still there, exactly how she left the room. The steward tells his supervisor that she's not in her room, and for every day that Marion was missing, he was telling his supervisor that she's missing. And the supervisor tells the steward, quote, just forget about it and do your job, end quote. The steward makes Marion's bed and leaves chocolates and flowers on her bed. The private investigator said that since she was on the ninth floor, if you took the elevator and go up two floors, as soon as you come out of the elevator, you're on the deck, and the edge of the ship is pretty, pretty close. And if you took the elevator from the ninth floor to the sixth floor, the first thing you would see is the deck and the edge of the ship. And you could easily be pushed overboard or fall, especially if it's a time such as the early mornings when pretty much no one is awake and walking around. Three weeks after Marion disappeared, Marion's parents asked the FBI to intervene and they keep calling the Cambridge police, but nothing comes of it. Police were able to get into Marion's bank account and see that she bought a ticket for a cruise out of Alaska. Ken Carver gets in contact with the cruise ship and asks, was Marion on the cruise ship? And they told him, yes, she was on the cruise, but they have no idea if she got off the cruise. They also ask, is there any security footage of Marion on the cruise? And they tell him, no, there is no video. It's been three weeks, so it's erased. The reason that Ken gets in contact with a private investigator is that the FBI and the Cambridge police have no jurisdiction over the cruise ship. October 2004, two months after Marion's disappearance, Tim, the private investigator, gets on the ship and meets with the claims manager. But who he really wanted to speak to was the cabin attendant. But apparently he wasn't available and was on another ship. He was also told that the supervisor was also unavailable. The guest claim representative told him that, quote, 
the only person you really need to talk to is me because I have all the necessary information, end quote. Like, who do you think you are? Saying that you have all the necessary information, you probably don't know anything. While on the ship, Tim is able to find out that on the floor Marion was staying on, the ninth floor with the panoramic view, the windows are latched and bolted, meaning you can't open the windows. He asked if he can review the security cameras, and they tell him that the footage is deleted every two weeks. Tim asks if he can speak with the security officer, but they won't let him because they're training new employees. And Tim is left with more questions than answers. January 2005, Ken hires lawyers from both Massachusetts and Florida. And after two months of working hard, they are able to get subpoenas for the cruise ship workers. Two cruise line stewards testify in a telephone deposition, and this is where Ken learns that they were aware of Marion's disappearance, but they did nothing about it. The cabin steward, the one that spent the most time with Marion, described meeting her on the first day of the cruise and noticing that she was missing two days later. He reports it to his supervisor multiple times, and the supervisor tells him to do your job. He said that he noticed in her room there was a $107 tip with his name on a card, but he doesn't take the money. He just makes the bed and leaves the room. He checks the same night and sees the room is the same way he left it, and this time he leaves chocolates and flowers on the bed. He checks the next day, and everything is still how he left it, and reports the same thing to his supervisor again. He said the last time he saw Marion was the second night, when he bought her two sandwiches from room service. He said that she didn't appear sad, upset, or angry. The steward also says that her clothes and all her belongings are in the same place that she left them. The steward goes to the supervisor and asks, what do I do with her belongings? And the supervisor's answer is, put it in a bag and put it in a locker, which they disposed of all of her stuff and donated some of it. This is absolutely crazy because, one, you don't investigate a missing person on your ship. You just, you just push it away. And two, you dispose of all of her stuff and doesn't tell anyone, not even give it to her family. The captain, staff captain, and the hotel director all have access to keys to all the rooms and they can access anyone's room. Remember... The doors have no locks on them. Say you just swipe the card and you enter someone's room. So if those top three people on board have access to all the keys on board, it's very possible that someone else had access to the keys. An example would be, you know, say you're close with the captain. He may give you access to all the keys on board. You know, so anyone on board could have access to those keys. 
There is a second deposition with the manager of hotel operations on the ship. The manager said that even though no one on the ship acknowledged that Marion was missing, the cruise line company started their own internal investigation and they fired the steward supervisor for failing to report Marion's disappearance. The investigation began at the end of September after a Cambridge detective called the cruise line asking if they can file a missing persons report for Marion. But no one on the ship filed a missing persons report. Instead, five weeks after Marion's disappearance, the cruise ship filed a missing persons report with the FBI. But the FBI cannot investigate because they have no jurisdiction over the cruise ship. Ken Carver decides to write the cruise line chairman and board of directors, saying that he wants answers as to what happened to his daughter, and he wants closure. A month later, he receives a copy of the security report, the report that was filed on September 30th, written by the manager of security, noted that company regulations had been violated and that the ship's captain the security office should have been notified the second that Marion disappeared. The report also said that Marion's belongings should have not been moved, and the evidence found at the scene of the of an incident should be left. The report also said that the ship's security staff must secure the scene and maintain the integrity of the incident scene ensuring that nothing is touched or tampered with until outside investigators arrive on board. Ken Carver moves stuff out of Marion's apartment and gives some to charity and keeps the really personal items for the family. Ken Carver still calls the Coast Guard, the police, and the FBI asking if there is an update as well as his lawyers contacting them daily, asking the same thing as well. Ken sues the cruise line for being irresponsible and negligent. In August 2005, the legal battle goes public, and the company issues a statement where the cruise line declares Marion dead. They told Ken that they reviewed the video, the video that they've been saying has been deleted since the beginning of the investigation. They told Ken after watching the video, she jumped overboard and we're sorry. The letter from the cruise line said, quote, Miss Carver had severe emotional problems and had attempted suicide before and appears to have attempted suicide on our ship. The death of Marion Carver is a horrible tragedy. But, regrettably, there is very little a cruise line, a resort, or a hotel can do to prevent someone from committing suicide. End quote. Now, this seems odd, because how, how do they write this? And that they claim someone they do not know has severe emotional problems. And how do you know that she attempted suicide before? In the two days that she was on that ship... It just seems like they pulled all those words, that entire statement, out of their butthole. Ken Carver said that if it was suicide, show us evidence. Don't just write it off as a suicide 
at any minor inconvenience just to close a case and hope that the family will accept that answer. Ken doesn't believe she committed suicide because why spend money to go on an amazing cruise just to end your life? He said that she was excited about life, she loved her writing, and just loved life. He said, of course, that anyone can commit suicide, but there were no signs that Marion would do that. Ken said that there is a problem with the cruising industry. There have been so many people that have disappeared off cruises and no one knows anything. He gets in contact with four families and together they created the International Cruise Victims. And their purpose behind it is to correct corporations that decide to operate outside the law and not take appropriate actions when crimes occur. I will have the link in the description box to read about Marion's story and other victims' stories. They have stories of people that are victims of sexual assault, deaths, missing persons, overboard incidents, assaults and accidents, and other crimes. They have all the faces and names of the victims on their website. Their main purpose is to, one, advocate for improved regulations, standards, and protocols that ensure the safety of cruise ship passengers. Two, to increase public awareness of the potential risk as well as the rights and protections passengers are relinquishing to travel on a cruise ship. And three, to provide support for passengers who have been the victims of crime, violence, negligence, or other tragedies while on a cruise voyage. They also have recent news involving cruise ships that are updated regularly. And they have a podcast coming soon called the ICV Podcast. On January 1st, 2006, International Cruise Victims was founded by four families who have lost loved ones on a cruise ship. On January 1st, 2014, they have a growing number of members from 19 countries sharing their stories. A decade after Marion's disappearance in 2015, Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut and Senator Markey from Massachusetts introduced new legislation called the Cruise Passenger Protection Act of 2015, ensuring that amendments have been followed since holding cruise lines responsible for reporting crimes and crime prevention on the seas. On April 7, 2017, Ken Carver was awarded the Ronald Reagan Public Policy Award for Public Policy Leadership, Vision, and Innovation that Benefit Crime Victims. With this case, I am definitely going back and forth with the idea that someone knows what happened to her, but I don't want to 100% rule out suicide just because you never know what someone is going through. And the reason I'm more leaning to the side that someone did something to her is because of the way the cruise ship handled everything. It showed that they didn't care at all. She got a divorce in 2000 and lost custody of her daughter. And maybe she was struggling with her mental health, but there is no evidence of that. 
I just think that if she buys a round trip ticket, she was coming back. And there was something mentioned about her writing a suicide note, but the cruise ship didn't release it for some odd reason. But I would think from the outside looking in, it would prove their theory that she committed suicide. It's like, okay, she has a suicide note, let's see it. Then we could maybe trust you a little bit, but if she, if you say she committed suicide, and there's a suicide note, and you just don't want to do anything about it, that looks a little suspicious. Um, some interesting facts about cruise ships, because I learn something new with every true crime case that I cover, but there are only two cruise ships registered in America called the Pride of America and American Cruise Line. No other cruise ship is registered in America. Because one, they get a huge tax break, and two, there would be tons and tons of lawsuits against them because of of one, this entire case, and so many other cases just like this. Disney Cruise Line is registered in the Bahamas as well as the Royal Caribbean. Celebrity Cruise is registered in Ecuador, and Carnival Cruise is registered in Panama. I just thought that was really interesting to know. End of episode thoughts. I believe someone knows something. And that entire cruise did everything in their power to make it seem like a suicide. The way they handled the case tells me that they're hiding something. I don't think someone, by someone I mean a company would hide a suicide, but I think someone would hide a murder by saying it's a suicide. Either way, whatever happened was an absolute tragedy, and my eyes are getting watery thinking about this. We are left with more questions than answers. I have so much respect for Ken Carver for fighting to get answers as to what happened to his daughter and exposing the cruise line for not investigating and, you know, opening our eyes to see that this happens way too much. Ken Carver is an absolute hero and fought for his daughter until the very end. Ken Carver passed away on December 30th, 2019, never knowing what happened to his daughter, but I can only assume that they're both in a better place. And that is the end of today's story. I would love to know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at criminalcuriositypod, where you can see the pictures of the case. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating because it helps me out so much. Spotify now has ratings, so all you have to do is type in Criminal Curiosity 
and you will see a little star to leave a rating. It would be very helpful and much appreciated. You can also request any cases that you have through Instagram or Gmail, which I will have in the description box. And please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone.